This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Good morning, Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. Today we talk community cookbooks, delicious bacon, and quarantine cooking. First, after Carol and I catch up on things, we'll talk to Alan Benton of Benton's Smoky Mountain Country Hams, often referred to as the King of Bacon. We'll talk about his secrets and how he is coping with COVID-19 and how that is affecting his business. Then we talk to chef, writer, and Mississippi native April McGregor about what's going on in her kitchen. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or shoot us an email to food at mpbonline.org. This is Deep South Dining from MPB Think Radio. Malcolm, in true live radio fashion, we're um, having a little difficulty this morning getting Carol on the line. But, um, you know, we're going to make things work. It's just, you know, the new new reality with uh, all this technology. We're trying to connect everybody who's not in the studio this morning. But um, how are you doing today? I know it was some bad weather um, in your neck of the woods yesterday. Yeah, we lost power about 4.30 yesterday afternoon, and uh, when I left home to come over to Carol's, because I have no power, uh, it was still off, and they hadn't even begun cutting the tree that fell on the power line. Oh, wow. So I know we had a lot of severe weather come through the state. Um, MPB was up here, uh, you know, doing what we do, letting people know about mm. the severe weather all all across the state. So the capital city was not um, immune to what happened yesterday. Right, and it affected energy pretty badly too. That's why they weren't able to do anything until today. Yeah, um, but today we do have a um, when we finally get Carol on the line, we're, we're working. Uh, oh, I think we have Carol Puckett on the line. Okay, Carol. we got it. <laughs> Technology people, thank you. <laughs> Now we got the whole gang together. Um, I think we got a, a, a jam-packed show with Alan Benton and uh, April McGregor, someone who you're super familiar with. She used to be a waitress in your in, in Highland Miles. Oh, yeah. Known April a long time. Carol, so how was your weekend? Malcolm, my weekend was full of cooking. You know, we had some bad weather this weekend, so I stayed home and cooked pretty much. Um, Portuguese fish stew. I saw that. That was looked yeah. delicious. Yeah, you know, because John lived in Portugal, and he's always talking about their dishes. So that was a little surprise. And then a grouper almondine. Excellent. And then venison tamales last night, Sunday's tamale night. Oh, boy. Sounds like y'all had a great festive weekend, even though in spite of COVID-19 and sheltering in place and all that fun stuff. So how about you? Well, we ate well. Uh, we had some chicken um, and rice uh, last night. But as, a, as I was telling Java, about 4.30 yesterday afternoon, a tree fell in my backyard. And we've been without power since 4.30 yesterday afternoon. So we cooked by candlelight, flashlight, and thankfully wow. we, have, we have a gas stove. <clears throat> but, you know, Carol, one of the things that I really enjoyed this weekend was discovering 
that uh, MPB is is showing two TV shows that are food based. One is uh, Vivian Howard's new show, which we talked to her. Yeah, about. I love it. Somewhere south, and it comes on at eight o'clock on uh, Friday, Friday nights. Night. But then there's also a new program called Dishing with Julia Child, which comes on directly after Vivian Howard's show at nine o'clock. So that was really cool. They show old Julia Child uh, cooking programs and then celebrity chefs comment on her show as it goes through. They stop the tape. They make a comment. They stop the tape. It is really nice. Yeah. Julia Child is literally ageless. Um, I spent a lot of time on our cooking and coping Facebook page this weekend. And uh, one thing I think I sh- shot you a text about was one of the members, Andy Frame, posted a photograph of Southern sideboards and said he was sitting there looking for the most ridiculous or ridiculously good recipe out of the old Jackson Junior League cookbook. So that inspired April McGregor to take a picture of all of her old community cookbooks. And like within 10 minutes, there were, I think, like 50 people weighing in on their favorite uh, dishes in these community cookbooks. And, and, you know, you and I have talked about having a whole cookbook show. Right. And I think that's a that's a pretty good signal that that would be a great show. Yeah. And we really want to give a shout out to uh, Leanne Galt and to Thomas Williams, who have been so instrumental in helping put together our success on the cooking and coping uh, Facebook page. You want to tell our listeners a little more detail about that? Uh, yeah, it, we, we started this right when the coronavirus uh, recent unpleasantness started, just as a way to uh, to keep a community together and to build a community since we couldn't be with each other to, you know, to share what we were doing. And I think we have 1,100 members now and people from all over the country. There's a beautiful post this morning from Idaho uh, or have found us. And people, it's not only showing your food, like on Instagram, people click on beautiful food. It's not that. They show really uh well it's beautiful but they they show what they're doing with their ingredients in their kitchen there's a lot of crosstalk asking for recipes uh you know asking how you do this or that but it's doing just what we thought and that is creating the community i've made a lot of new friends yeah and me too and our one of our guests april mcgregor who lives in pennsylvania but is from uh, Mississippi is actually doing these uh, cooking classes online that are appearing uh, on the Facebook page. Yeah, and he's, and that's how we rediscovered her uh, because she was posting on the page, and I mentioned her on you know I, I just mentioned her as one of our favorite posters, and you said, "Oh, I know her. She used <laughs> to work at work at Helen Mal, so it's a small world." Well, you know, talking about the community cookbooks, uh, <clears throat> I brought one. I don't know if it would actually classify as a community cookbook, but there was a book published in <clears throat> 1980 uh, by the folks at the Clarion Ledger, mostly Ray Hederman uh, and his some of his uh, folks, called A Cook's Tour of Mississippi uh, with an introduction by Willie Morris. And this little book which looks like a community cookbook, it's, it's bound in that same fashion, uh, 
has recipes from all across the state, little vignettes, little stories about communities and was really this book was really the first time I thought of food as culture in Mississippi and particularly Willie's introduction where he talks about coming home from New York and about places like Lusco's and Doe's and the Tamale places. And it really captured my attention. Uh, but anyway, it's one of my favorites and it's got great recipes in here. Mine is all dirty with stains and, and love. So check it out. A cook's tour of Mississippi. It's, it's out of print, been out of print for years. And it was edited, I believe, by Susan Puckett, who went on to become you know, quite a great food writer with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and now doing her own cookbooks and others. So a little bit of history there. Yeah. And, you know, I'm rec- there was a, a photograph of Susan on Facebook uh, the other day. Was it with Martha Foos? Anyway, I, yeah, I think it was part of the cooking and coping. So tell our uh, listeners how they can actually connect to cooking and coping. Uh, go to Facebook and just search for cooking and coping, gathering around the virtual table. But cooking and coping will do it. Sign up and come on in. Great. And you can share recipes. You can ask questions. I've seen a lot of co- conversation about what do you do about this or how does this work or can you help me with this or can you share a recipe or a cooking tip? It's really been fun. Yeah, it has. All right. Well, the music tells me it's time for our first break. When we come back, we've got an all-star. We've got the king of bacon coming on the show, Mr. Alan Benton of Benton Smoky Mountain Country Ham in Madisonville, Tennessee. Alan will join us and talk to us about his legendary bacon and his legendary ham from the Appalachian region of Virginia, Tennessee, and North Carolina. We hope that you want to join the conversation. You can do that very easily by dialing 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464, or shoot Java an email at food at mpbonline.org. Deep South Dining will be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Good morning, and welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White here with my friend Carol Bucket. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Malcolm. And guess who is on the phone? I hear we've got a superstar of the port world. Yes, we do. And we've had many celebrities on our show. But in my mind and in my heart, this is the biggest one we've ever had. It's Alan Benton from Madisonville, Tennessee. And uh, good morning, Alan. And we've had your bacon all weekend long. Good morning, Carol, and good morning, Malcolm. I'm delighted to be with you. And you may just have given me the best compliment I've ever had in my life, Carol. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're so welcome, Alan. Uh, a few weeks ago, when all of this coronavirus started, our mutual friend Thomas Williams uh 
and I were talking and I said, oh my gosh, I said, we are, we are out of bacon. So I think we ordered six or eight pounds of bacon the first week and are kind of blowing through it. So we've had a bacon fest. <laughs> so you're at work this morning. Oh, yes, ma'am. We're still open. Of course, we're struggling with this uh, coronavirus problem like all people in the restaurant business. Uh, our fortunes are tied so closely to the restaurants that we do business with. Uh, when they all closed, uh, 80-something percent of my business left with them. So mm. we're struggling a little bit, but we're determined hillbillies. We're going to come out the other side of this thing. <laughs> we're still keeping our business well, Alan, open. We're I, still I know a, a lot of people um, don't know that they can order the bacon directly from you. And, you know, for for a long time, it was, uh, you know, very precious and, and hard to get, but they can go online, right, or call the store? Yes, ma'am. They can either go online or call our store either. And uh, we ship, uh, thank goodness, my Internet retail sales are very strong right now. We're still sending packages to people all over the country. Carol, a lot of my success, I have a direct link to the state of Mississippi. I have to be very grateful for that relationship. Two things were very pivotal in me figuring out there was a market with restaurants across the country. First off, the Southern Foodways Alliance. I could never repay the, the Southern Foodways Alliance for what they've done for my business if I tried. And you have a rock star chef in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, by the name of Robert St. John. Uh, I was oh, fortunate. we know him well. <laughs> oh, I, I can't tell you how incredible I think he and his family are. They're just super folks, but... The nice part, he actually wrote about me a couple of times. He's a syndicated columnist. And I'll just tell you, back in the day, I wasn't shipping that many packages. And I remember shipping packages for three months to people all over Mississippi and Louisiana as fast as I could because of that article he wrote. And I've never forgotten that. So I'm still humbled by all the attention that you're giving me today and that he gave me. And I'm proud of that Mississippi connection. Well, we are very proud of Robert always, but during um, during this time, he is, he's been a real hero not only to the restaurant community, lobbying for uh, you know for money and uh, access for the restaurant community, but he has his own charity, Extra Table, and is feeding people all you know all over the state. But um, I did want to say that I think Robert learned about you in the same way that I did. And that was, for me, back in the 80s, visiting Blackberry Farm in Wallen, Tennessee, which is one of the, you know, now top resorts in the country. But it was where I experienced your bacon. And uh, I believe Robert did, too. So tell us about that relationship with Blackberry and how this all started. Well, Carol, I'm blessed. It was the first white tablecloth restaurant I ever sold my product to. And um, I thought it was probably a single wide or double wide trailer with a porch on the front. I had no idea what Blackberry Farm was. I just knew there couldn't be anything in West Miller Cove in Wallen, Tennessee. And I was so lucky to finally figure out that uh, there's a market with fine dining restaurants all over the country. That was that opened it up. They, they're the ones that got me invited to the Southern Foodways Alliance the first time. Uh, I, I can trace the dots back to Blackberry Farm and John Fleer. And John Fleer. John, 
John Fleer, I could never repay John for what he did for my business, Carol. He simply put my name out with chefs all across the country. And I have to count my blessings every day of my life for that relationship still. He's one of the finest men I've ever known. Alan, I remember the first time you came to Southern Foodways, we were trying to get you to come, and we used John as bait. And uh, and you said, you know, John, I you know I don't do things like that. I'll be happy to send my bacon. And uh, <laughs> and John and John T. Ed said that's not what we do. You know, you have to come. And I I can remember being under a big tent and a Saturday night in Oxford. And I remember you telling people said I have found church i have found my people (laughs) well it was the first time carol that i'd ever been around people who were as passionate about the things that i'm passionate about as i was and it was i still consider that my tribe i've uh i've been graced to get to meet some of the best people on earth through the southern foodways alliance and i could never repay john t edge i actually turned him down when when he first called up here I remember. Of course, John, John T. is very persistent, <laughs> and he called me back and convinced me that I had to come. I offered to send hams or whatever, but I was just too busy to come, and he finally said, you simply have to come, and you know how persuasive he is. And thank goodness I did. It's the most uh, meaningful group I've ever been around in my life. It was, it's an amazing bunch of folks. All I'm but Alan, from from that be, you know from that beginning with Southern Foodways, I think your bacon is sold. I mean, one time I heard a Japanese film crew was coming to Madisonville. So, is the bacon sold in Japan too? We don't ship it out of the country, Carol. Now I'll be quite honest. I think some chefs are very creative and find ways to take it to Europe and Asia. I've been told that at least. I don't know that. Uh, but I've been told it's been served. Many people have encountered my products in Europe. Um, I'm prouder of the fact that I sell it in the great state of Mississippi than I am in Europe, to be quite honest, because people in the South know what good pork is supposed to be like. And if the people in Mississippi like my bacon and ham, that's as great a compliment as my business can ever have. Malcolm, know I know you're waiting to, to jump in on this, and I, I'm sorry that I'm so excited about having no. Alan on the phone. So I'll turn no. it over. <laughs> no, I mean, I am enjoy listening to y'all talk. I, I really appreciate you, Alan, coming on today. I know you actually were born and raised in Scott County, Virginia, and you sort of <clears throat> grew up with this Thanksgiving tradition of hog killing day. Can you talk That's a little correct. bit about your early life and, and, and what might be sort of secrets or uh, you know, information that people might be interested in about how you actually prepare your hams and your bacon? First off, um, Malcolm, I, I, I'll have lots of young chefs visit my place, and I'll go through and I'll show them how I make the product and tell them what I use. If you eat my bacon, the only ingredients in my bacon is salt and brown sugar. There's no nitrates, no nitrites, no words you can't pronounce. And if you don't like smoke flavor and salt pork, you're not going to like my product. But thank goodness people in the South tend to like it. Um, We grew up, we butchered our own pigs on Thanksgiving Day if it wasn't raining. That was considered ideal hog killing time uh, in in Virginia when I was a kid growing up. And we cured our own hams and bacon and sausage. And the recipe that I used to make my ham 
and my bacon is still the original recipe from the log smokehouse behind the house I was born in. Um, I've played with all kinds of recipes, but it seems like my customers really like what we're doing, and we're just like a broken record. We just keep on making it the same way and and had a great business shipping it to restaurants across the country. Of course, we've seen that evaporate with this uh, COVID-19. It's devastated our business, and I'm fully uh, aware of the fact that a lot of the restaurants that I've sold to over the years probably won't survive. It's taken me a lifetime. Basically, I've been in the business now for 47 years. It's taken a lifetime to build the business, and I can see a little invisible virus that's going to do away with a lot of it. We are going to hang around. I'm not going to retire. Plan to be making bacon when I'm 92. (laughs) (laughs) And so, Alan, people can order not only bacon. I know uh, we order the hickory smoked, and and you have an uncured bacon, too. But tell us us about the hams and what people can order. We we ship the hams and the bacon. It's very shelf-stable. I can send it. In the middle of summer, when it's 100 degrees in Mississippi, we ship it all over the country. No ice or packing. It's very shelf-stable. They can order the country ham slices, a whole ham. Uh, The bacon is sold in one-pound vacuum seal packages. It has an incredible shelf life. If you put a pack in your refrigerator and don't open it, it's certainly going to be good at least six or eight months. Uh, Not frozen, just refrigerated. It's got an awesome shelf life. We ask people not to overcook it both the ham and the bacon. Uh, uh, undercooking is preferred to overcooking, especially on country ham. We uh, uh, we typically sell hams anywhere from 10 months old up to about 24 or 30 months. The older hams are typically used like a European ham. They'll, we use all pasture-raised pork, uh, old breeds raised on pasture with no antibodies in the feed. Uh, to make those extra aged hams, they usually are sold between 18 and maybe 30 months on average. Um, and they're usually just shaved and served like you would the uh, jamon in Spain or the prosciutto in Italy. And uh, we ship it to great restaurants across the country as well as individuals. Uh, in the South, hillbillies like me love to just slice it, not too thick, just to maybe a little over an eighth of an inch and only lightly saute it. When I say lightly, I'm talking maybe uh, 12 or 14 seconds on each side, take it up and serve it. Uh, hmm. Great on a business. Uh, great to spread that some red sounds, sounds delicious. Uh, Alan, I really have so much respect and am thinking about you and the other small vendors who are in this position, and I know that you're really working hard to pivot your business, and that's uh, a great term to use because it's like you're going down one road and all of a sudden you have to uh, turn around and head the other direction. So besides mail order, are you doing doing anything else new or thinking about doing anything new? We, uh, the products are the same. We are shipping a lot of our product. Uh, Our retail internet sales are probably uh, 400% 400% over what they would be this time of the year. We're, they're very strong. I think people are sitting home with nothing to do and thinking about it. And thank goodness that's been strong. Our retail sales out the front are strong. But, of course, all of that is just a pittance compared to what I've lost. Uh, but we're determined to, like I said, I, I'm 72 years old, soon be 73. I plan to be doing this 20 years now if I'm still alive because I enjoy making ham and bacon. But the best part, Carol, as you might know, 
is the people I've met along the way. I've been blessed to meet some of the best people on this earth, and I look up every day and count my blessings for that. Well, we, that, we go ahead, Mal. No, just say, Alan, can you tell us, tell our listeners how they can order your bacon and your hams uh, as we speak so people listening could actually write down your phone number or your website and, and, and order bacon and ham right now? Gosh, Malcolm, I'll jump at that opportunity. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Uh, you can call and place an order over the phone. Uh, our number here is 423-435. Uh, no, I'm telling you wrong. 423-442-5003. If they want to find it on the website, the easiest way is just to Google Benton's Bacon. It will take you to uh, our website. Okay. Uh, and they can, they can I want to say that phone number that. again. Okay, it's 423-442-5003. Correct. All right. Thank, so you, thank you all on that for allowing me to be on your program this morning. It's so nice to talk to you again, Carol, and I'm delighted to get to meet you, Malcolm. Thanks so much. Thank you, Alan. We appreciate you uh, sharing some of your time. We want to remind our listeners, if you want some of the best country ham or smoked bacon you've ever put in your mouth, uh, reach out to Alan Benton at Benton's Country Hams, Smoky Mountain flavored uh, with a lot of love. He's based out of Madisonville, Tennessee, but he came up in Virginia and the Appalachian region. Uh, and we'd love to have you reach out to him. When we come back, we'll be talking to April McGregor. April is a chef, a food personality, and like many of us, has been filling time in her kitchen, helping herself, her family, and her friends cope with all these social distancing activities. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with the one and only April McGregor. You're listening to Deep South Dining here on MPB Think Radio. I'm Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. And right now, though we are dealing with the COVID-19 crisis, many of us have been coming together on the Internet uh, and on the phone and across the street and sharing recipes and food and dishes. And it's a great lens in which to cope with this uh, very difficult time. Carol? Uh, that was great having Alan on. I, you know, I got to meet him one time at uh, Southern Foodways gathering. He meets a lot of people, but man, what a what a celebrity in the in the ham world! And what such a lovely, humble uh, man. And we've been wanting to have him on the show for a year, and wow, it took this. Yeah, this is great. All right, our next guest is a native Mississippian. Grew up in Vardaman, Mississippi. Went to Millsaps College. And uh, while she was at Millsaps College, she was also a waitress at Hal and Mal's, became very close to my brother Hal, and uh, they often talked about food preparation and cooking, and she's just a delight. She then left Millsaps, went to North Carolina, but is currently living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and she is quite uh, a chef and a home cook. She's, she's got a small uh, business uh, that she uh, keeps up, but let's welcome... Uh, from the past and the future, the one and only April McGregor. Hello, April. Hi, Malcolm. Hi, Carol. Thanks so much for having me. We're so happy you're here. How goes? 
Um, it's going pretty well. We are, um, you know, just like everyone else, I think, trying to uh, find some structure in our days. We um, we actually were homeschooling our son even before this um, thing happened, but he still had lots of lots of activities and lots of. Um, he would go to a independent learning center two days a week. So our our schedule maybe is not quite as uh, as uh, has changed quite as much as everyone else's, but we still have um, uh, some changes ourselves. So um, yeah, so we've just been like you said, doing that and doing lots of cooking, lots more cooking than usual, um, and. Uh, in the beginning, especially, it was um, really uh, fun and exciting. We I've had to take some breaks. Last night, you know, we had popcorn for dinner. We took a little break, <laughs> so uh, we've we've had that. I think like everyone else as well. You can't you can't you know every meal can't be a home run. So that's that's got to be part of it as well. And yeah, I think that's a good message to uh, to pass on to people. But I saw that you posted the pop, bowl of popcorn last night yeah. on cooking and coping. <laughs> And it gave us all a moment of relief to know that we didn't have to put, like, you know, I steamed the venison tamales and threw them on a paper plate, um, you know, that yeah. we don't have to cook something exactly. every night. But your your cooking has been downright inspirational for this group, so thank you for that. Oh, and your comments you. and encouragement oh. for other people. Oh, thank you. I always say, you know, cooking is um, not, no fun at all if you don't have enthusiastic eaters and people to share it with. So, you know, that's as much about cooking to me as the, the aspect of cooking. I've cooked, you know, a lot for people. And when you have people who have, you know, um, who are afraid of food or, you know, who don't want to eat and things like that, it's just no fun at all <laughs> for those people. And I, you know, I've said uh, one of the great things about being part of the Cooking and Coping website is that I can spot, you know, the Mississippians. I can tell by their posts and, you know, what they're what they're posting that they, you know, are from Mississippi or have roots in Mississippi because um, just average people have such a passion for food, you know, not necessarily we're not leaving food to the professionals, I would say, in Mississippi. It's, it's a very interactive, um, you know, and family and friends oriented um, hobby. And, you know, just livelihood is something that a lot of people, I feel like, participate in. And that's always um, fun for me. Well, you said something to me on the phone the other day when I called to invite you to be on the show. And you were saying that cooking and coping, it's not like food bragging like going to a restaurant yes, and having absolutely. the most exotic food. Right. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, I've worked in um, restaurants um, and, and including quite a number of years in fine dining restaurants here in Chapel Hill. And although I love that in a lot of ways, really home cooking has always been my passion. And one of the things that I love, you know, about both cooking and coping and then also about, you know, I would say social media, Instagram in particular, right now it's um, it's really because the the um, coronavirus has really changed because people aren't going out, aren't traveling as much. So you know you there's not as much um, 
bragging kind of happening of saying, oh, I'm going to this amazing place. Oh, I've gone to this, you know, award-winning restaurant. It's more of like, this is what I managed to pull together from my limited ingredients in my pantry and, and, and make for, you know, my family or, or, or myself for dinner. And um, home cooking has really just always been my passion. And I love um, in cooking and coping, being able to interact with just um, what I think of as more, you know, um, you know, home cooks, more average kind of people, and getting to to see what people are cooking in their homes. And I've said for years that I was really, really interested in what people were cooking at home, and we really didn't have a lot of insight into that. You know, magazines aren't really focusing on what people are cooking at home. Um, you know, media in general isn't really focused on what people are cooking at home. I've laughed that I'm going to go to the, you know, grocery store and ask anybody who has a good-looking grocery cart if I can uh, tag along with them and, and write about what they're <laughs> cooking in their home kitchen because, you know, it, it just feels a little bit more difficult to penetrate um, the domestic um, cooking scene, if that makes sense. One of my favorite posts over the weekend was from Julian Brunt. Malcolm, is, is he a, somebody you know from the coast? Yeah, Julian lives in Biloxi. And, uh, okay. You know, okay. he's the guy that got the uh, the culinary fellowship uh, apprenticeship from the Arts Commission, the one and only food apprenticeship that we've given. Julian got it back in the day. Well, I thought his name was familiar, but his post this weekend to me was the most delicious. It was cornbread in a glass of buttermilk. Yeah. And he knew, he knew right where he was from. And, you know, the other thing about oh, yeah, Julian, <laughs> when, when I first met him, I'm sorry. Oh, no, you didn't interrupt me. I just said absolutely. <laughs> I was going to tell Carol, right after Katrina, I met Julian. He was running the Dusty Bonger Foundation, and that's where we met. And after he stopped working with Dusty Bonger, the great painter from Biloxi, he started a new career, which is photographing food, writing about food, doing consulting about food, and, and he is uh, – his new career was sort of based out of his apprenticeship that he got from the Arts Commission. That's cool. Okay. Uh, April, back to our phone conversation the other day. I wanted you to, to talk about um, your time at, at, I know, at Howl and Mal's, you know, what you learned, what you learned there in your other restaurant jobs in college. And one thing that fascinated me that you've got to tell us about is that you actually – fried chicken at a gas station. Yes. Okay. So back when I was in high school, my, um, one of my friend, one of my, um, high school friends, her parents owned a, a gas station in Cal, in Burma, Mississippi, um, so in Cal, right in Calhoun County between Vardaman and Calhoun City. And they, you know, just like every gas station, I feel like in Mississippi, served biscuit sandwiches for breakfast and fried chicken and a few sandwiches and things for lunch. Um, but then they also had, on the weekends, a little short order breakfast kitchen. So when I was a senior, um, I guess starting the summer after my junior year, um, we worked in the in the kitchen, or I worked in the kitchen, and my friend worked the cash register um, for that summer, and then the summer after our senior year, we did the same thing. So I, I would make biscuits on the weekends, and sometimes during the week, but um, I and and then I would always fry the chicken, um, you know. And they, it, 
we you know we it was all in a in a like this big deep fryer and you bought the uh, breading mix, you know, uh, the seasoned breading or whatever, and we breaded the chicken and fried it and put it in the hot box like every other gas station, I feel like, in Mississippi does. Um, so that was kind of, you know, I, I'd always been cooking. I'd always enjoyed cooking. And, and my mom, you know, wor- was a school teacher and worked full time. And my dad worked all the time. Um, and I had a brother who was 10 years younger than me. So very early on, you know, my sister and I, who were just a year apart and, and nine and 10 years respectively older than my brother, we had to take on a lot of chores. So I, I realized early on that cooking could be one of those chores. And I much preferred that to, you know, dusting or cleaning bathrooms. So I, that's what I did. So I, I took over very early on kind of the, the uh, making dinners for my mom's kind of uh, index card recipes that were, you know, commun- from community cookbooks and, um, very Betty Crocker type recipes. And that counted as work, which I much preferred to any of the other things. And then when I went to <laughs> college, I just worked as, um, as uh, I did actually at Helen Alves. I tried to work in the kitchen and they said, you don't want to work in the kitchen. You know, you here, you can wait tables or whatever. So, so uh, uh, and actually I, I worked also the same thing at Iron Horse Grill. I was like, I, I want to learn, I want to cook back here. And they were like, no, yeah, young women, we're not, yeah, no, we don't, young women don't work in the kitchen here. You can wait tables. So I did that, <laughs> but um, Hal was really great in that he, you know, he would always entertain all my questions. I would say, hmm, is that time? What is that spice, you know, in the soup, you know, and he would always, um, would always uh, entertain me and let me, you know, inter- ask all my little mundane questions about exactly what was in every single recipe, you know, soups in particular, because there was it was always something new that I could kind of figure out, and I really enjoyed. Well, that. we and, miss and we, miss his soups. Absolutely, and I definitely, you know, yeah. my friends and I, my boyfriend um, uh, at the time who worked at Hall and Mal's at at, so, at some point as well. We, you know, recreated those, um, some of Hal's suits at, at home or did our best to recreate them. So that was like kind of the, my venture into sort of just figuring out, you know, cooking and figuring out recipes and things like that. And, and when I came to, I went to graduate school at UNC in geology and studied volcanoes for a couple of years, but ended up working in restaurants here. And um, and I was the pastry chef at Lantern Restaurant in Chapel Hill for about three or, or four years before I started Farmer's Daughter, my preserving business, and operating primarily out of the Carborough Farmer's Market in Carborough, North Carolina, which I did for 11 years. Well, I think you have to be a real Renaissance woman to go from being a, is it a volcanologist a yes. person who studies, who works with volcanoes, and your particular yes. volcano was in Italy. Yes, and, Stromboli uh, volcano, so, which most people say Stromboli. <laughs> okay, so going from studying volcanoes to a kitchen—that's that's a pretty big leap, don't you think, Mal? Well, yeah, you know, I was thinking, April, when you were in Italy studying the volcanoes, you really kind of came face to face with with cooking and, and the culinary traditions of Italy. And I think somehow or another you put together your Mississippi roots and your North Carolina time with the Italian cooking style and you begin, I you know, don't let me 
put words in your mouth, you begin yeah. to sort of develop your own uh, sort of uh, cuisine. Um, yes, definitely. You know, um, I uh, going back to what Carol said, you know, I tell people, I, you know, I started out my life making mud pies. So it really, it wasn't a stretch for me to be a geologist and a cook. So uh, from the beginning, I've been interested <laughs> in those two things. Um, but I, you know, when I came back from Italy, my now husband, Phil, um, was like, you know, you know, I came back and I'm like recreating all the recipes, all the, all the different dishes that I had in Italy. And, and he said, you know, you seem a lot more interested in the food or a lot more passionate about the food than you are about the geology. And for me, you know, I think as much as it being about food and back to, you know, kind of what I'm, what I'm doing now with um, Facebook, uh, you know, kind of doing these live uh, making biscuits or whatever is this idea that food um, is really valued a as a community builder and as a, you know, a sustenance for the family um, in, in traditional societies. And I would include Italy and their approach to food in that and absolutely Mississippi. You know, I think Mississippi has held on to that a lot longer than, than most places had this value of um of sharing food and passing on, I think, traditional foods, which has always been really close to my heart. Um, well, yeah. April, your business was Farmer's Daughter Pickles and Preserves. And um, I know it, it. you no longer have that business. Um, I followed it on, on a website for several years. I think you had it for a number of years, but you made award-winning pickles and preserves by hand. So there's yes. nothing more artisan or more physical than yes. that. <laughs> yes, and that was the physicality of it, which we talked about a little bit. It's a lot of the reason why, and just the, the very small craft nature of the business meant that all of that physicality really fell on me. And I couldn't figure out a way to, um, as my body was starting to break down a bit, um, you know, I was ha I had this shoulder injury that was caused by um, picking up, you know, 50-pound, um, 100-pound uh, barrels of fruit macerated in sugar and, and slinging those around all the time and was having trouble with that and, like, and loading and unloading of glass jars constantly at, at markets and things like that. It were all very hard on the shoulder joint. So as that, w as that moved along, I was having a hard time figuring out what the best uh, method for um, for remedying those situations. And even though I had employees, it just when in a really small business like that, it's just impossible that the work not fall on the, the business owner. And um, eventually I decided that I would just call um, it a success and go out while I was on top instead of, you know, investing a lot of money into the business that would then change it, trying to move myself out of it because like I had, I had designed the business to be all very small batch, and we um, really cannot create the same sorts of flavors in uh, making jams and preserves if you try to um, transfer that to a industrial type recipe. The processes just aren't at all the same, and there was no one that I was going to be able to pay to do what I did. Um, so it just sort of was the end of that phase, I guess, of the of the business. Uh, all right, uh, it's time for a break. When we come back, we'll continue to talk uh, with April McGregor, and she will share some of her cooking tips from her kitchen, and she will also tell you how you can join in uh, 
to her next Facebook Live. So stay tuned. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. You're listening to Deep South Dining here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. And our great friend, April McGregor. Welcome back, ladies. Well, welcome to you, Malcolm. Well, Um, thank you so much. Well, I wanted to start off here by saying I took a cooking class from April yesterday online on Facebook Live. um, Had a cornbread class. It was very cool, Ah. April. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you could be there, Carol. April, can you tell us a little bit about those classes and if they're scheduled regularly or do you just decide, okay, today I'm going to do a cornbread cooking class? Or do you have a regular sort of schedule of the uh, Facebook Live cooking shows? Well, I've been trying to do them on Sundays at noon, uh, Eastern Standard Time. So it would be 11 Central Time. And uh, I've just done two classes. I did a biscuit class and I did a cornbread, a sort of a, 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 what I call a battle of the bread. So it's Yankee versus the traditional skillet cornbread, which I obviously um, am, was um, rooting for. And, um, and I, yeah, I decided to do those. Um, the first one, I just I didn't really have a plan of, to, to continue doing them, but it was the, the biscuit one was very well received and people – started making suggestions of th- other things that they would like to see me cook. So, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm open to suggestions if anyone would like to see them. See anything else, I'll, I'm kind of, you know, playing it week to week, considering what people, you know, need help with, want help with. But a lot of it came out of the fact that, you know, everybody is used to running to the store very regularly for bread and things like that and are trying to make do with what they have at home. So I was trying to give some easy recipes and some um, techniques that people could utilize in their home kitchens that would keep them away from the store a little bit more and give them a little bit more confidence in the kitchen. Especially with biscuits, you know, it's, it's not, very, um, not very many ingredients that you need to make biscuits, um, but it sure is a lot easier to make them once you've seen someone else make them. So that was kind of the, the first idea. And um, for, for me, Sundays has always been about cooking and friends and family and food and uh, a time, you know, to, to slow down in the week and really uh, share our, um, our time and share a meal with people. And I, I wasn't able to do that during the quarantine. And we host a lot of, you know, Sunday brunches and things that my husband and I at our house. And um, we have been renovating our kitchen for the last, like, two months. We finished it right before the whole quarantine thing happened. And, you know, I really wanted to have friends back over for brunch. And that wasn't happening. Uh, so I decided, you know, I was laying in the bed one Friday night. And I was like, what if instead of having brunch, I just made biscuits on, you know, on Facebook or whatever, on Instagram, and then just invited all of our friends to join in. 
And it worked really well. It was actually a really wonderful moment of having, you know, friends of ours from all over the country. We've, you know, I'm from Mississippi. I had a lot of my even like high school and uh, childhood friends and their moms and things, uh, you know, uh, uh, tuning in. And then I had um, friends in Mexico who tuned in. I have friends in North Carolina who tuned in and friends in Philadelphia, you know, who haven't really known me as a, um, you know, as a professional food person, because I've mostly just been writing and, and homeschooling and things since they've known me. So it's been also a really nice way for them to get to know me. Well, we really appreciate you joining us this morning, April. We've uh, enjoyed reconnecting. We've enjoyed listening to you talk about your food experiences. And we will join you on Facebook Live on Sunday mornings at 11 Central uh, time to uh, see what's up next. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Broad- Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We're funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show was produced by Java Chapman. I want to thank my co-host, Carol Puckett, and our guests today, Alan Benton and April McGregor. I'm Malcolm White. Please stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey and Southern Remedy at 11 a.m. Join us next Monday at 9 o'clock in the a.m. for Deep South Dining only on MPB Think Radio.